Ed Harold, and today in our Life with Breath expert series, I'm honored to have Larissa Hall Carlson with me. And she's simply uh, an American treasure. She's done so much work uh, in improving the quality of her life, but not only the quality of lives of all of her students throughout the world. And when, when I look at uh, Larissa's uh, bio, it, it's very, very intense. She's worked with world-class teachers across the board in Ayurvedic mindfulness and yoga teacher trainings. She's the former Dean of the Kapala School of Ayurveda. Uh, she's worked with Stephen Cope at the Institute for Extraordinary Living at Kapala. She leads transformative and empowering, inspiring classes and workshops and trainings around the world. She's known for her exceptional knowledge of yoga and Ayurveda, deep practice and professionalism. So welcome, Larissa. <laughs> it's so lovely to be back here with the two of you. I miss you, miss seeing you in person, uh, but I can feel our charged prana together, which, which fills me up with, with lots of goodness. So thank you for having me. No, it's well, we're super excited to spend some time diving into the science of Ayurveda and how that uh, can weave seamlessly into the science of pranayama. And I don't think there's any better person on the planet to have speak of these two amazing Eastern concepts in our Western world than you, Larissa. I love them both so much, and they really support one another so intimately. And one without the other feels uh, quite incomplete. So I'm glad to be able to dovetail them together for, for your audience today. But, you know, the mind-body connection is something that we hear a lot of today. And when, when I look at the West, if I could just put it under an umbrella, it's basically top-down learning. You take it in through your five senses and it drops down into the body and, you know, the body remembers it, but it's not right like Ayurveda and Pranayama, which is an Eastern art, which where the information rises up from the intelligence of the body and supports optimal neural activity. Ayurveda is a lifestyle, you know, just, just as yoga is. And so we have to live it. You know, it, it doesn't work just theoretically and philosophically. And so it is an embodied science. And Ayurveda, you know, Ayurveda is, is known as the science of life. That's what it means in Sanskrit, the science or the wisdom of the physical body, the senses, the mind, and the spirit. So Ayurveda is a holistic science that covers everything that we experience in this incarnation. Mm -hmm. And so Ayurveda gives us diet practices, lifestyle practices, uh, massage techniques, herbology, uh, it covers prenatal care, geriatric care, surgery, Ayurvedic psychology. It's just a huge, vast science, much like traditional Chinese medicine or Tibetan medicine. Mm -hmm. And so it's very much a lived and embodied science. It, it's much beyond what we're getting from our primary care physician, uh, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> you know, you've been in this game of transformation a, a long time. You know, where did your journey begin? Well, I, I have always been a teacher. Uh, I've been teaching about 25 years. I was trained as a high school English teacher and I taught college English for a number of years. And I was also a controller. And so I ran a finance department in New York for, for many years. 
while I was teaching in night night school for you know, college, because I, as as the audience will soon soon get to know, I'm a pitta dosha, and so I have a lot of drive and uh, like to get things done and multitask and check things off of lists, and so that is my primary constitution, and and so I was I was living and working a very rigorous schedule in New York for a long time. And I'd grown up an athlete. You know, I grew up doing gymnastics, swimming, uh, lacrosse, field hockey. I coached lacrosse for a while. And uh, so I've always been an athlete and I've always been a teacher. But I had lost, I'd lost a lot of the wholesome practices when I was in my, in my 20s. I'm now 45. And in my 20s, I really was... Um, just working with the grind, caught up in the grind, um, staying up late, eating, you know, eggplant parmesans for lunch and slamming lots of coffee and smoking cigarettes back then. And, you know, it was a really different life. And, uh, and, and one day I was introduced to yoga. I was given a, a VHS tape, you know, back in the day, a VHS oh tape God. of yoga. And I put it in the, the VCR and I just wept the whole way through the yoga practice because it had me, um, it hooked me, you know, connected me back to, to what I'd known as a child and as an adolescent, you know, connecting back to nature and truth and spirit, uh, which had gotten kind of veiled or covered up or neglected in all those hard, hardworking years. And so I started doing yoga every day. I went onto the Gaiam website which is a, a lovely website here. And I ordered like one of those gigantic, huge boxes of yoga props, like wedges and blocks and straps and yoga outfits and all the VHS tapes that they were selling, you know? And I just got this huge yoga box, you know? And, um, and in it, there was, uh, so I started doing yoga every, every day, like twice a day and you know, quit smoking and started eating better and walking more and journaling and, um, in, in that big box from Kayim, there was a flyer for a strong women's summit. Mm. And so it was for six months away. And so I put in my resignation as a controller for the day before that summit so that I would have six months to like really work on myself and then, and, and find a replacement. You know, one can't really walk away from a finance job. You know, you have to skillfully oh, and you know responsibly turn it over um and so uh i went away on this weekend in upstate new york to mohonk mountain the beautiful um beautiful resort hotel there and the woman who was on the vhs tapes do, teaching the yoga was teaching there live and so i took every yoga class that she was offering her name is suzanne Deeson. she's an Iyengar yoga teacher and at the end of the weekend, I went up to her and, and offered her some appreciation. And, and as I was walking up to her, she, she uh, said, hey, it's been great to have you in all of, all of my classes this weekend. Um, are you a yoga teacher? And I was like, no, I'm not a yoga teacher. I've just been teaching your classes on the VHS tape for all these months, you know? And she planted the seed that I could actually move into a different career. I didn't know what I was going to do after, after I left. You know, I, I had been accepted to grad school. And so I was planning on that. 
But that planted the seed. And then I ended up moving uh, to Massachusetts. I got a job at Kripalu Center, um, where I've been for the last 17 years. And uh, my whole life changed. You know, my whole life changed. And it was just moving back into who I always was, you know, just peeling off the armor of, you know, work and intensity, you know, and the grind and coming back to who I was. And so it was, um, I was very lucky that right at the beginning, I got yoga and Ayurveda together. And so I had the two of them, those two, two paths, two sciences to carry me with diet, lifestyle, self-care routines, and the yoga asana and pranayama and meditation all at once. That's a beautiful story. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. It's really a life lived. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, every human being on the planet, you know, we kind of live in two worlds. You know, we live in the inner world, the human being, the embodiment of who we are and who we'll always be. And we also live in the outer world, drawn into the senses and the beauty of, of nature, the doing world. And it seems in this time of COVID and this uncertainty of the future that we, we seem to be out of balance in regard to how we're interacting, you know, with that inner voice, that inner guide. And I, I think that Ayurveda and, and Pranayam is one of the most amazing ways that in a short period of time, we can adapt to different environments with a lower heart rate we can feel better about ourselves when some of these thoughts come that maybe tell us that, you know, it's not going to work out or, you know, we don't have a, a beautiful, happy gene anymore. And when we think about Ayurveda, when I think about Ayurveda, I think about initially the three main doshas that Ayurveda gives us to help us understand the inner world and how we react to the sensory perception of the outer world. Mm -hmm. So as we move into spring in, in, in 2021, could you explain to us a little bit about the three doshas that Ayurvedic uses to begin the diagnosis of the patient? Absolutely. So, so Ayurveda and yoga, they are, they're considered sister sciences as they both come from the Vedas or from the wisdom texts of India. <clears throat> and, and many consider them to be one science and that they, they can't actually be pulled apart. They really are one science. And we can look at yoga, of course, as the path of awakening. Yoga is the path of, of self-discovery, of discovering truth or reconnecting to truth, of enlightenment, of freedom, bliss although it's not always blissful when we're practicing the yoga. Uh, you know, it's hard work, it's a discipline. Um, and Ayurveda gives us the diet and lifestyle and massage and self-care practices to keep us on the yoga mat or keep us on the pranayama cushion. And so what, what that really means is that Ayurveda gives us practices to clear out the discomfort of the physical body to clear out the clutter in the mind so that we can go deeper in the yogic path. So for those you know, who are doing pranayama, uh, it's difficult to do pranayama when congested, right? It, you know, it, it, it's a workout, it's hard. 
It's difficult to sit and do pranayama when working with a sinus infection or a headache or being sleep deprived or feeling really anxious um, or achy, you know? And so when the physical or the mental body are suffering in some way, it often prevents us from really thriving in the yoga path. And so Ayurveda gives us practices to heal, to nourish, to balance, to harmonize the physical mental body so that we can do the yoga work. We can do the pranayama, we can awaken. And so one of the ways that Ayurveda supports that is by looking at three energies known as the three doshas. And these are not the only energies that Ayurveda focuses on. There are many, um, but these are, are three, three common ones that we look at kind of the doorway in. And so Ayurveda sees that everything in the universe is made up of five elements, space, wind, fire, water, and earth, space, wind, fire, water, and earth. So everything is made up of those five. I have all five elements. You have all five elements. You know, my, my, cup has all five elements in it, just in different proportions. And these five elements, they merge together, they join together in pairs to create the three doshas. So we have first dosha is space and wind, and that's known as vata, vata dosha. The second dosha is made of fire and water, that's pitta, pitta dosha, not pita bread, but pitta dosha, okay. And we have water and earth, water and dirt, joining together to make kind of like a mud. This is known as kapha or kapha, kapha dosha. Okay, so these are the three doshas. And the doshas show up in the macrocosm of nature, in, in the weather, in the seasons, and in the microcosm of the body-mind, in our makeup, in our constitution. And so, so with these three doshas, vata dosha, space and wind, governs the winter season, the fall and the winter. So it's space and wind, so it has no substance. There's no fire, so it's cold. There's no water, so vata is, is dry. There's no earth element there, so vata is light. And so the, the fall and winter are the seasons of coldness and windiness and dryness. And this is the vata season of the year. And no matter where you are on the planet, there'll be a drier, lighter season, even at the poles and at the equator. And so that vata season can affect us because we are immediately affected by the weather. We're exposed to windiness and coldness and dryness. And, and those qualities can, can start to cause trouble in the body. So we'll talk about that. Pitta dosha, the, the second one, made of fire and water is like hot acid, right? And so we experience that in the macrocosm of nature during the summer season, when it's hot and humid in the weather, in the season. And so that um, hot, humid time of year is going to affect us. You know, we're going to change our habits based on, on what's happening in the season. And uh, if, if we don't, then we'll be overheated and kind of overly oily, right? <laughs> Pitted out, yeah. The third, the third season, which is what we're moving into right now in, in New England, um, I'm in Vermont is the spring season. So water and earth coming together like mud, like muddy water, dampness, freezing rain, sleet, kind of moving into cold rain. You know, the early, early spring, this is the beginning of cuppa season. And we're exposed to that weather 
and those qualities as we go out into nature. And so this time of year, folks often feel kind of bogged down, a little bit congested, a little heavy, a little sluggish, lethargic, lack of motivation. You know, there's this muddiness in nature that we often feel kind of energetically slimed by, you know, or, or it accumulates in the system. So Ayurveda focuses on adapting lifestyle and diet and exercise and pranayama to meet the needs of the season. So when certain qualities are elevated in nature, we wanna choose opposite qualities. It's really a law of common sense. We wanna choose opposite qualities in diet and lifestyle to balance it out. So <clears throat> we have in the very, uh, we'll focus on springtime right now, but Vata winter season, when it's cold and dry and light, we focus on warm and wet foods, right? Foods that are really nourishing, soups and stews and hot teas and things like that. We put on more clothes, right? Wear warmer clothes. You know, so these are our choices of common sense. Right. But in, in the yoga, we'll be doing <clears throat> more slow and grounding and warming practices in the winter to ensure that the body has good metabolism and that there's good groundedness in that kind of wintry season. In the uh, summer season, the pitta season of, of, of summer, we shed the clothes, right? It's a, a less clothes, right? And uh, do activities that are cooling like swimming and hanging out in the shade and, and things like that. And the earth gives us all of these really cool, refreshing foods to eat. So salads and watermelon and cucumbers and coconut water and stuff like that. So we're adapting you know, our clothes and our diet to the season. And with yoga, we would do more cooling postures. You know, so less yoga and hot temperatures, you know, practicing during the cooler times of day and practicing um, lots of postures that air out, you know, like stretching open, airing out the armpits, uh, clearing out extra heat, you know, uh, these kinds of techniques are really useful in the summertime. Now in the springtime as we're moving into this kapha season and the, the weather creates this kind of heaviness and sluggishness and lethargy. I know I've I've been feeling it this last this last month. You know that kind of heaviness, where we want to stay in the cozy comfort food winter time habits, but we can't. You know it's springtime. It's time to do spring cleaning. It's time to lift and radiate and and energize. You know, and and so we can get. Um, stuck in naughty habits that were good in the winter, but they're not good in the spring, you know? And so in the springtime, the earth is going to start giving us really antioxidant rich foods and scrubbing light bitter greens, we're going to get dandelion greens, mustard greens, kale, Swiss chard, asparagus. You know, we're not getting pumpkins. There are no nuts <laughs> falling from the, from the trees. You know, it's not time for fatty, heavy foods. Yeah. It's time for light food in the spring. It's time for lots of greens, you know, and berries and such, uh, and still cooked because it's cold. So, you know, uh, green soups and, and veggie soups, things like that. <clears throat> but in the yoga, now it's time to not only heat because it's still cold out. So we need hot warming practices in the spring, but we also want to energize and enliven and kind of burn off or evaporate that extra water that tends to accumulate in the body, congestion, 
water retention, weight gain, feeling just heaviness in the, in the gut. Uh, these are, are the common signs and symptoms of elevated cuppa in the cuppa season of spring. And so we wanna, we want to uh, heat and circulate, heat and circulate, heat and circulate to balance the warmth, uh, balance the coldness of the season and to evaporate that extra water and earth element. So I'll just pause there. I know that's a lot. <laughs> well, and what I was going to say is because that's great information. And then Ayurveda takes it a step further. If we look at, okay, we have the different seasons, but then we also have the doshas as they relate to us. Mm-hmm. So maybe you can talk about the doshas and then how we would adjust that with pranayama techniques mm-hmm. based on the season and maybe your dosha so that you can Great. be really living in balance. Yeah. So we're all made up of all five elements and we all have all three doshas. <clears throat> but we each have a constitution or a, a, an individual recipe of the five elements in the three doshas. And no dosha is better than any other dosha. They're all incredibly important. So we all have vata dosha, which governs movement right? Vata is made of space and wind. So Vata dosha governs the movement in the body and in the mind. Vata governs everything that moves in the body mind for everybody. So the pumping of the heart, the movement of blood, the um, swallowing, movement of food through the digestive tract, the release of waste products, the movement of nerve impulses through the nervous system, the movements of thoughts through the mind, the inhalation and the exhalation of the breath, the vibration of the vocal cords when speaking, Mm. everything that moves is governed by vata. And we want vata to be moving fluidly and gracefully, to have vata in balance. And when vata gets out of balance, when there's too much wind, when there's too much vata, when, when that vata accumulates, which it tends to do in the fall or winter, when it's cold and dry outside, we get kind of cold and dry inside. And that vata starts to accumulate and increase. And often that wind gets momentum. So it turns from, from a fluid breeze, fluid movement into choppiness or you know tornado-like yeah. movement. Yeah. So when something's not moving well in the body, vata has vitiated, vata has somehow spoiled. The word dosha itself means at fault or that which can vitiate. So the doshas aren't good or bad. They're just either balanced or they're out of balance. Yeah. So when vata gets out of balance, when there's too much of that, we often feel too windy. So gas and bloating. Uh, feeling dry hair, dry skin, dry nails, too much dryness. Windy's, wind is drying, right? We put clothes out in the wind to dry them, right? Right. Um, we get too much windiness in the system, too much movement, feeling restless, ungrounded, fidgety, spacey, having trouble sleeping. You know, it's like that wind gets too much momentum. And that happens to all of us because we're affected by the weather and, and other things that increase vata. Um, but it affects folks who have a vata constitution a little bit more because they are sensitive to those qualities and, and, and energies. And so someone who has mostly vata in their constitution is going to be someone who, um, and I'll stereotype here just 
to, to wrap our, our heads around it. But um, Vata has these qualities of being cold and dry and light and mobile and subtle, right? Just like we can see through everything, right? It's, it's subtle instead of gross. And so someone with a Vata constitution, they tend to have um, skinnier frames, you know, long and wiry frames, um, less, less uh, coating, less meat on the bones, you know. Um, and so we can often see the joints easily on a Vata constitution. We can see the veins pretty easily on a Vata constitution because there's not a lot of packing, not a lot of meat on the bones. Um, they often run cold. And so the Vata constitutions, they will often want extra layers all year because they tend not to have a lot of fire in them. And, and because Vata has wind and uh, is, a, is an energy that is about lightness and movement, Vatas tend to be very creative. They tend to be very excited, peppy, energized, um, they like variety. They love to try different things. You know, it's it's the, the energy of movement. Yeah, and so so um, Vata constitutional folks will be more affected in in the Vata season um, by by the cold, dry weather, and and in that season, or for someone with a Vata constitution, will want to apply the Ayurvedic law or the Ayurvedic rule that like increases like and opposites decrease. Like increases like and opposites decrease. Mm -hmm. And this is a law of common sense, but we don't always apply it to choices. So, so if it's cold and dry and light outside and we're eating cold and dry and light foods like smoothies and rice crackers, right? They're not good or bad, they're just cold and dry and light, yeah. And so those qualities will start to accumulate and can overflow and cause elevated vata, right? Whereas opposites decrease, opposites harmonize, opposites balance the dosha. So when there's elevated vata in the cold, dry season, or when someone is just feeling excessively cold or excessively dry or excessively light and feeling kind of, uh, spacey and, and, and a little too energized, you know, and there's a little too much of that energy, then we want to use opposite to bring it down. So warm, oily, grounding, stabilizing foods, self-care practices, yoga and pranayama. Well, so, you, yeah, I'll let you. No, that's <laughs> great. What I want to talk, what I think would be great for the folks is number one, where do they find out what their dosha is? And number two, will your dosha change as you age? So there are lots of online questionnaires uh, that, that, you know, you can just Google Ayurveda questionnaire or dosha questionnaire, and there are lots of them out there uh, that, that are lovely. Um, Dr. Duyard, uh, who, who's been on the series, Dr. Duyard uh, from lifespa.com, he's got a lovely, uh, very thorough, very long intake form that, that can be helpful for self-assessment. But the questionnaires, they often tend to assess the current state of the doshas 
and not always the original constitution. And so it's really ideal to work with a certified Ayurvedic health counselor or Ayurvedic practitioner <clears throat> uh, like myself, yeah. <laughs> in in order to really assess and look at the the look at everything holistically to identify the original constitution, which never changes, versus the current state of the doshas, which is always changing. Mm -hmm. It's similar in some ways to um, like the horoscopes in that um, uh, totally different sciences and all of that. But like just thinking of it this way, one's constitution never change, changes. It's set at the moment of conception, according to Ayurveda. The moment of conception, your constitution is set. It will never change, but it will be influenced by the seasons of, of the year, the seasons of life, the times of day, accidents, traumas, things like that. It will be affected by that. So for instance, I'm a Virgo. That's my, my horoscope, I'm a Virgo. I will always be a Virgo. It doesn't matter what season of the year, it doesn't matter how old I am, I'm always a Virgo. But I'm affected by Mercury retrogrades and what states of the moon, you know, and things like that. And that will change what's going on. So the same is true in the doshas. You know, I'm a Pitta dosha. My Pitta will never change, but it's affected by the seasons. Like right now in this, the spring cup of season, I'm feeling more wet and heavy, right? In the winter season, I was feeling more dry and a little bit kind of windblown, you know? And so um, the first season of, of life is said to be the spring season of life. So childhood into puberty is the cup of season of life. It's the spring of youth. And so, you know, and think of like how soft and rolly kids are, you know, and, and, and bouncy and, and, and gooey you know, kids are, right? They're in the cup of stage and, and they need opposite qualities to balance that cup of stage of life. You know, they need lots of exercise and being outside and taking in lots of knowledge and, you know, going, going and going, you know, that sort of thing. Then we move into the Pitta stage of life, which are the, the active years of life where, um, you know, essentially puberty-ish to menopause-ish, you know, that's the, the Pitta stage of life where we're all affected by that Pitta flavor, that Pitta drive. So these are the years of building a bank account, building a career, building a home, building a family and you know, getting things done. And so we're all affected by that no matter what's happening and, you know, individually and then we move into the vata stage of life mid 50s 60s ish we start to transition these are considered the wisdom years and the vata stage of life is a time of of, of lightness right vata is light as opposed to being heavy and it's subtle as opposed to being gross and so those wisdom years were all affected by those years and those are meant to be years of slowing down using opposite qualities to balance you know slowing down focusing on spiritual study, focusing on self-care, uh, downsizing the house, you know, lightening up, having lighter or fewer responsibilities, you know, spending more time in nature, more time in, in prayer or spiritual practice or meditating, right? These are the wisdom years. And so we're all affected by that. 
And so the constitution never changes, but it is influenced by the time of day, the season of the year and the season of life. And if we're not skillfully choosing opposite qualities in diet, lifestyle and exercise, those changing seasons can really throw us, mm-hmm. right? The pitta stage of life, those middle years, we can get overheated, overworked, burned out, you know, inflamed, exhausted, angry, burning bridges, you know, like the, that fire can explode, right? And in the vata stage of life, if we're not slowing down and spending more time doing, doing self-care and spiritual work, we can be overly dried out in the vata stage and have a lot of chronic trouble sleeping and chronic constipation and uh, issues with bones and joints and things like that, which don't, in, in the West, we've accepted them as, as part of aging, but Ayurveda doesn't see it that way. There is no need to suffer. We could thrive right. in these stages. If we're if we're skillfully using opposite qualities, that's beautiful. So how do we then adjust if we look at the three different doshas? How do we adjust our pranayam practice moving into spring if we're vata, pitta, or kapha? Great. So in the uh, vata vata season, we're working on um, grounding, soothing pranayamas. It's a lot of Belly breathing is really nice in the winter, a lot of alternate nostril breathing, a lot of counting of the breath, ujjayi pranayama. These are all warming and grounding pranayamas that are really excellent in the winter time or for folks who have a lot of vata in their constitution or who are in the vata stage of life. You know, they can use a lot of these grounding, warming pranayamas. But now as we're moving into spring, we still want the heat, we still want the warmth because it's cold out. Yeah. But instead of grounding, we want to lift. So we want pranayams that are going to be energizing, purifying, drying, stimulating, energizing, and uh, awakening. And so now's the time to add a little robustness to the pranayama practice, right? So instead of like the, the comfort foods and the comforting pranayamas in the, in the winter, now we move into warming lifting, rising kinds of, of practices. So some of my favorites are ujjayi with sun breaths. So moving the arms up and down with the breath to get more movement, more lift, more expansion of the rib cage. I love the uh, dirga, the three-part breath, the complete yogic breath, dirga pranayama is wonderful for expanding the lung capacity, airing out the lungs, getting good oxygen and carbon dioxide exchange, stretching the intercostal muscles between the ribs, in which there are many lymph nodes and the lymph system is like the garbage disposal system of the body. And that's where a lot of congestion, a lot of mucus, a lot of kappa dosha accumulates. And so when we start stretching and airing out the ribs, we massage the lymph, move out mucus, clear out the kappa. So dirga worked really well for that. The breath of joy works really well for that, that kind of dirga in motion, you get a little pep, you know, with that. Bastrika pranayama, the bellows breath. 
and, and really emphasizing that nice, even rhythmic expansion and contraction of the rib cage. It's a beautiful massage for the respiratory and circulatory systems. They're really getting things to move well instead of being stagnant and stuck in the mud as right. we sometimes experience in the cup of season. Kapalabhati is another beautiful spring technique. So Kapalabhati is, you know, it's, it's, it's used as a pranayama, but it's, it's technically a kriya. And a kriya is a cleansing practice. So it's much like using a neti pot or scraping the tongue or doing exfoliation massage. Kapalabhati is meant to scrub and clear out mucus. It's meant to move out excess kapha. So it's really ideal in the spring. And um, it will help to clear out sinus congestion, lung congestion, and congestion in the throat, as well as kind of clear the fog from the mind, you know, which we often get in the cup of season. And I know some of the listeners today are, right now are feeling some of that sluggishness and sloth and torpor that kind of sneaks in this time of year, you know. And Kapalabhati is the skull polishing breath. So it's designed to cut through that fogginess. And so these are some of like the best techniques for the spring. However, we want to kind of um, like bookend those stronger practices with soothing practices so that it's not too rough or too intense. You always want to temper it so that it's appropriate for the practitioner. You know, some of those techniques are a little uh, rough for some people. Um, so kind of like a nice bell curve, warming up, peaking with you know, some, some nice active energy movement and then smoothing it back out is, is a very safe way to practice in the spring. Yeah. Yeah, you know, when we're practicing pranayam, you know, I look at it as a very feminine practice where it allows new awarenesses. It allows a spring cleaning. It, it, it doesn't need that male energy of having a carrot out in front of you and here's your goal, right? The pranayam doesn't, doesn't need that. What it, it simply needs is for us to execute the technique with great care and try to integrate the higher energies of the pranayam as the practice cools down. Absolutely, you know, and, and classically the spring and the fall are the ideal times to practice the deeper pranayamas. And that in the winter, you know, we really want to do more nurturing practices, you know, and quieting practices, more meditation, you know, pranayama into deeper meditation. And in the summer, it's so hot we want to do practices that are more cooling, like shitali through the tongue, sitkari through the teeth, sighing exhalations, you know, brahmari, the bumblebee breath, kind of just buzzing and clearing the head. So in the summer, um, the stronger techniques can be too heaty. And so really the, the fall and spring are ideal pranayama time. I mean, like the, yeah. the weather a few days ago was in the forties and I was like, it's pranayama time, you know, like I am ready to, ready to go, you know? And there's just this natural, you know, the, there's a, a, a natural desire to start applying the opposites, you know, when we get into a, a rhythm over the years and as the seasons change, there, there's like a, a switch, an internal switch that says, mm, it's time to shift up the practice, just like it's time to shift the diet and the clothing, you know. Beautiful. I, uh, you know, why I love this, the whole practice of yoga and Ayurveda, I'll give a personal example that's coming back to me um, because we really do need to shift based on 
seasons and dosha. And me as a pitta, I remember I would be so drawn initially to all the hot yoga, mm -hmm. right? And then in the summer, um, in the hot yoga, because my pitta's like, yeah, let's just go get it, you know? And so I'd come out of there and think, why am I so agitated? Like I'd be leaving the parking lot and be cursing at people who are getting in my way and thinking, come on. And I'm thinking, I just took a yoga class. I should feel really relaxed. Like what's going on here? But between the pranayam and the hot yoga class in the summer, it's not serving us. It's creating too much fire. It absolutely is, Wendy. And this is, you know, speaking to you, I, I broke down vata a little before I can go into to pitta and kappa a little more so, so your listeners get that full picture. But, you know, so much of living with awareness, living mindfully mm -hmm. has to do with paying attention to changing rhythms, the rhythms of nature, you know, the changing of the daylight, you know, and adjusting practices to that, changing of the temperatures and adjusting our, our lifestyle practices to that. And so, so much of it is common sense, yeah. but, but because we live with electricity and because we have access to any kind of food at the market, any time of day or night, any season of the year, so many of us have lost connection to the seasonal adjustments. Yeah. You know, we've lost some connection to that. And so Ayurveda is all about that and returning to seasonal rhythms and adjusting to seasonal practices. And so, so Pitta Dosha, Pitta Dosha made of fire and water, we all have it. And, and Pitta governs digestion. So it's the hydrochloric acid and um, enzymes and digestive fluids that break down food and transform food into bodily tissues and biologically useful products. Pitta also governs the digestion in the mind. So the ability to take in information and digest it, organize it, learn from it. Pitta is the fire that kind of cooks us from one stage of life into the next or cooks us from one experience and into a, and hopefully an elevated level of understanding and of living. So it is the kind of the, the cook of the body is, is the Pitta. And so we all have Pitta governing digestion and, and transformation. But some of us have a Pitta constitution, like, you know, Wendy and I, Ed has a fair amount of Pitta in his constitution too. Um, and so Pittas run hot. We're made mostly of fire and water, right? We have all five elements, but we have mostly fire and water. So we're hot doshas. And so, you know, Pitta constitutions, they typically have a medium frame and a medium build a little bit more meat on the bones, a little bit more of an athletic build often in a pitta. Uh, they often have very intense eyes, very intense focus, very intense speaking. Uh, you know, they move like they're blazing a, a trail of fire. You know, they move with intention. They often are goal oriented. They like to get things done. They like to be in charge. They like to check things off lists, you know. Uh, pittas like to add things to a list just to check it off because then that's more satisfying, you know. <laughs> Yeah. So those uh, of you listening, yeah, you do that. Dopamine you, addict out there. you guys get off that dopamine. <laughs> We're like, yes, yes. It's a lot. So va vata doshas are really um, creative and energized and innovative, right? Pittas are the ones that like to get it done and make it happen. You know, like vatas come up with wonderful ideas and pittas execute those, those ideas. You know, that's, that's pretty typical there. 
And so pittas um, often run around without, uh, you know, extra clothing on in the in the winter. You know, they'll run out to the car without putting on a jacket. They like to have the air conditioning on and the windows open, and often sleep with one foot out from under the covers because they're so hot that they're always airing out. You know, so pittas are they run hot, right? Uh, and that's that's their natural state, but they can overheat. Just like a vata is naturally creative and peppy, but they can get too much momentum and turn from peppiness to spazziness, you know? And so we go from the original constitution to the current state of elevated dosha. So we always wanna come back to the, to the, the core. So pittas will overheat mostly in the summer when it's hot and humid in nature. And if they're eating foods that are hot and wet, hot and oily, like fried foods, coffee, alcohol, um, the acidic foods, tomatoes, garlic, onions, you know, fried food, things like that. Those will accumulate the pitta qualities. And at some point those will overflow and cause suffering, cause that elevated pitta. And so in the summer season or for folks with pitta and their constitution, they're always going to be a little extra careful to use cooling, relaxing practices because pitta is very hot and focused. So pitta often needs quiet and stabilizing coolness in order to stay relaxed. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, you know, pittas will be drawn to the hot, intense, you know, disciplines. Yeah. Um, but those don't always serve. And so it's important to temper it, to, to follow the drive and to make sure that we're not always slamming on the gas and that there's enough, you know, pause and, and cruise time, you know. So that's really, really important for, for Pitta Dosha. And of course, uh, probably most of, uh, of the listeners today are in the Pitta season of life. You know, it's a, it's a big season, you know, puberty right. to menopause-ish. And um, so it's easy at this time of life and in our culture to overdrive, to overdo, to want to succeed, to need to get things done, you know, and we can really, really burn out that way. So, so much of Ayurvedic practice is, is to skillfully temper that. And I found myself, you know, I was, as I said in the beginning of, of our session today, you know, I was slamming coffee, I was working two jobs, you know, I was a controller, I ran a finance department in New York, and I taught evening classes, you know, for, for, for night school, for, for college, and I was the department chair, so I ran the, the department as well, and I mean, I was just going and going and going and going and burning myself out, and um, there's no need for that, there's no, there's no need for it, and so when I found yoga and Ayurveda, um, Part of my drive was, of course, like, go, go, go. I'll do every yoga class. I'll take every yoga training. I will breathe louder than anyone else in the room. You know, like I had that pitch of drive. And it wasn't until I started working with an Ayurvedic clinician that I learned that I was burning myself out, you know, and I would crash. I would get sick or I would just, you know, like want to, you know, drink and sit on the couch and watch movies in order to kind of cool myself down. Yeah. And so Ayurveda taught me how to not go full throttle and and to really live in that middle path, which has served me so 
like just so immensely the you know this last decade and a half of like really living in a way where I don't overheat myself anymore and I'm not interested in jockeying for position and being overly competitive and I really allow the goodness of pitta to thrive without burning myself out but it, it took some time you know to really experience how to do that that that's amazing you know because a lot of times I tell folks you know, if life's a race, it's a race you want to come in last. <laughs> think about when you think about Pitta and this super high level of stress that, that folks are experiencing uh, from the outer world. And it seems that we can almost rewire our brain to accept the fact that this is the way it is. This is the way it's always going to be. You can fire up your amygdala and you can rewire your brain, and this can become the norm for us, we become used to always reacting. We're catching up the time. There's never enough of this and I've got to go do that. Is there a breathing technique or a listening skill that, that worked for you where you could kind of check in with yourself mm. and maybe have an opportunity to be neuroplastic in regard to maybe changing that perception of the doer of the pitta? <laughs> so I worked with one one teacher he's actually he's, he's I, I'm not gonna say who it is but I, I worked with a teacher for a while and um, I'll, I'll see him actually later today but who um, did a lot of uh, demolition on me a little a lot of deconstruction <laughs> yeah. I know because that I, was, <laughs> I had a lot of uh, you know always an athlete and um, I'm very flexible very strong I can bring myself into lots of postures. Uh, I've been a swimmer. I've always had a very deep lung capacity, very, very strong pranayama. And pranayama has always been my most favorite thing of all of life is pranayama. It's my favorite thing to do. It's my favorite thing to teach. And um, I would overdo it. You know, I would really huff and puff and like get pushy with the breath and hold my breath too long, get grippy, you know, and think that I was, you know, no in the no pain, no gain mm -hmm. state. And I had a teacher who would, and I don't recommend anybody ever do this to any other student, but like would flick me in the forehead sometimes, you know, like move around the room and be like, stop Come it, right. stop it. <laughs> and like literally, you know, like, and, and talk about like, he's a pitta dosha. So like only a pitta yeah. can kind of provoke another pitta in this way, you know, right. you know like, okay, you're in charge, I'll stop, you know. Um, <laughs> And, and I actually, like, he had to poke at me in order to get me to see that I was actually hurting myself instead of nourishing myself. And so I, I actually had to learn to back out of some of my postures, to not, not go so deeply into certain practices, to not breathe so loudly, to not hold my breath with so much intention, intensity, and to actually soften and be receptive during the breath retentions. And so I think that of the techniques I would say that that the um, the Uddiyana Bandha, the Agni Sara, mm -hmm. was was my biggest teacher because yep. it's really easy for me to overfire and to overpush and to overpump, yep. and I really learned how to stabilize the fire and harmonize the fire instead of over stoking it, stoke the fire. Mm -hmm. 
so that was a huge teacher for me. And I know that that's an advanced practice not everybody can, can, can work with that technique. Um, but that was perhaps my biggest teacher was working with, with the external breath retention and pumping of the belly. But what my, I think most nourishing practice was has actually always been the Brahmari Pranayama, the bumblebee breath. Because as a, as a Pitta constitution and wanting to always drive and excel and succeed and move forward and get things done, um, the pranayama is so effective, as you, as you said, for you know, resetting to create new neural pathways, you know, to find a new way of thriving. And the bumblebee breath kind of gets the job done really quickly and efficiently and effectively without overdoing it. And so I find that when I tone and go, go into several rounds of the bumblebee breath, it does exactly what I need. It kind of buzzes the beehive of my mind. It, it sweeps the slate clean and it brings radiance and luster to the head without heat. You know, it's not a hot breath. And so it does all of the things that I love about Kapalabhati and Bastrika without the heat. And so I found that to be one of my um, absolute non-negotiable pranayams. Wow, awesome. That's, that, that's cool. a beautiful. Yeah. You know, when we think about the Brumari and its effect on the brain and, and the vagus nerve and creating mm -hmm. comfort and circulation of minerals and nutrients and lymphatic drains from the brain. Mm -hmm. You know, I think about Brumari as a, as a way of creating mental space mm -hmm. and, and where there's space for a moment or two, there's the absence of stress or negative mm -hmm. stress. And when we think about space, space is something that we can move the wood of the fire of Pitta. We can move the logs further away from each other. When we think about the space, we can add more energy to the kapha. So the Brumari is such a wonderful pranayama and I think it's richly needed, a Brumari mm -hmm. practice in these times of challenge externally. Even with COVID, it's um, absolutely great. Mm -hmm. um, it's one Eddie's been working with a lot of COVID patients, uh, long haulers, mm -hmm. as they call them, um, mm -hmm. and it's been a great practice for for folks, um, even with COVID. Absolutely, because it doesn't demand much of the lungs, but it gets the lungs moving, and yeah. and so um, yeah, it's it's so sweet for COVID times for sure. It's it's a tridoshic practice. It's going to be good for for all three, because it's not too heating or too cooling. It's not too stimulating or too grounding. You know, it's kind of a, it's a very potent practice. You know, it can create deep states of um, altered awareness and, and opening up to the inner guidance, the inner wisdom, the inner truth that's always present. You know, it kind of clears the veil. So it's so good for all the doshas um, and for all the seasons. You know, it's one of those techniques that can be used any season. I do love it. I do love it as a pitta, um, but it's good in this kappa season. And you know, for kappa for kappa folks, you know, we all have kappa. We all have this water and earth element joining together to create a kind of muddiness or a thick wetness. And kappa for all of us is like a bodyguard. It's like a buffer. So kappa dosha is the dosha that gives us lubrication and um, and steadiness. Kappa is a real steady dosha. And so it gives us the synovial fluid, the cerebrospinal fluid, the saliva in the mouth, 
the mucosa that lines the lungs, protecting the lungs from all that dry vata breathing all the time. Mm -hmm. Mucosa that lines the stomach, protecting the stomach from all those hot pitta acids that are breaking down food. Kappa is, um, provides the steadiness of mood, gives us the ability to um, have memory. So kappa is the film upon which the memories are stored. You know, so it's this real steady dosha and we all have it, <clears throat> but some people have kappa as their main constitution. And so kappa folks are going to have the most substance and the most strength of all three constitutions because kappa has the most meat to it, right? So water and earth, it's like mud, yeah. So strong, thick bones, broad shoulders on kappa constitutions. They usually have really deep lung capacity, big, big skeletal system, big rib cage, big lungs, booming voices, strong hearts, lots of generosity, you know, really jolly people tend to be very loving and kind. You know, we get this strength and bulk with a lot of sweetness, you know? And so kappas have the best endurance of the three doshas and by far the most strength, the biggest muscles, the bulkiest, you know, bodies. So we all have kappa, but we all get affected by excess kappa in this spring season when it's rainy and foggy and damp, you know? And those who have a kappa constitution are especially affected by this season and really feel bogged down, you know? And when that extra kappa increases, we get too much mucus, too much congestion, too much wateriness. Uh, instead of just being stable, we get stuck in the mud. We have a lack of motivation, foggy thinking, you know, all of these things that, that hinder progress and, and awakening. And so this really is the time to use the pranayamas, which all of them generally are opposite in quality. You know, they're, they're instead of stable, they're moving. The breath is moving, you know, instead of being stuck, there's circulation. And just by favoring some of the warmer pranayamas in the spring, we get the heat, we get the lift, we get the evaporation of water and mucus, and we get all of the beautiful circulation that we want. That, that kind of takes us full circle. That does, that's awesome. You know, can, can you speak for a moment? You know, life is about a lot of things, but it's about relationships. Mm -hmm. And when we speak of doshas, <clears throat> I'm naturally drawn to relationships with folks that have a strong vada pitta dosha and i don't really have the time to wait for the coffers to get their clothes on but i gotta get going because i got things to do you know and, and our, our friends our circle group tend to be for most of us like attracts like you, you you're drawn to people who see the world and speak to the world the way you do and you know i think of like my corporate clients and i if you have a, a company out there and you're putting a team together, you know, the most efficient team mm -hmm. is one that has Avada. You got your idea person, you got your yeah. intention people, you have a Pitta and someone who's going to have the fire to drive this and you have the Kapha to manifest it and see it through mm -hmm. to the mm -hmm. end. Now, these three mm -hmm. people might not get along with each other at the personality level, but right. for their production of energy, having counterbalances around us in a team environment creates the most efficient energetically quality for a team. Can you speak a little bit about how relationships and doshas interact with us in this human dance? Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that, Ed. So 
You're right. We want, we all have all five elements. We all have all three doshas, but we have particular constitution and, and with that behaviors and, and mannerisms and, and habits and likes and dislikes, you know, and the most balanced team and the most um, successful team is going to be one that has representation from all three. And the more that the understanding of the three doshas is spread, you know, the, the more people who are introduced to um, this reality, you know, it's, it's reality, um, the more compassionate we can be to our varying habits and ways of getting things done. And so I appreciate so much now the innovative Vata constitutions and the stabilizing cuppa constitutions that keep the project going, you know, that, that give it longevity. And knowing the doshas well now, I always have a team, you know, when I'm doing teacher trainings, when I'm running programs, I always have a team that has representation of all. And I can compassionately understand that my way of doing things is different than their way of doing things and that they're being efficient for their constitution. Yeah. They're doing their constitution, you know, like you do you, you know, like they're doing their constitution <laughs> the way that it's meant to be done. And so recognizing that there is a variety in the seasons of the year, right? Variety in the weather and the changing seasons, there's variety right. in the doshas in humanity and that all three are needed. And that allows me to be really compassionate and understanding and not get annoyed by the way other people are doing things because I can recognize, no, no, that I know that an answer from a certain person is gonna take a little longer to get, you know, or I know that this one is gonna change their mind a couple of times before landing on the final choice, you know, and, and it doesn't annoy me anymore because I understand it, you know? And so this is so much about relationships is recognizing our interconnectedness and how we can, we can, you know, thrive when balanced, we can, we can really thrive. But here's, here's the, the, the challenge, and, and this may be for a, a talk another day, but um, so the doshas, this is just one aspect of Ayurveda, <clears throat> this one set, you know, of energies, but there are other energies that are just as important as the doshas. So like the energies of the mind are known as sattva, rajas, and tamas. And this is more related to Ayurvedic psychology, which is another one of my specialties. And so when, when we are thriving in our constitution, whether it's a vata constitution, a pitta constitution, or a kapha constitution, Thriving means not having excess, you know, so a vata is creative and light and excited, but they, you know, they can sleep and they can poop fine and they don't have gas and bloating, you know, like they're thriving and energetic and peppy, but they're not suffering from too much vata. And a pitta who's thriving is goal-oriented and really good at giving direction and getting things done and very focused, but they're not angry and mean and judgmental and they don't have acid reflux and they're not burning burning eyes and stuff. You know, like there's not extra fire, there's the right amount of fire. 
And couple folks are, when they're thriving, they're reliable and loyal and dependable and enduring and strong and jolly and friendly, you know. And they're not suffering from extra kapha. They're, they don't have extra weight. They're not holding extra water. They're not overly mucousy. They're not foggy in their thinking. They're just steady and sturdy, you know. And those thriving states happen physically, but also mentally and emotionally when in a sattvic state of mind, which is a state of harmony and peace and balance and ease and tranquility. And so this is actually what affects the relationships, I think, more than the doshas is actually these energies of the mind. Yeah. Because when we're in that energy state of wholesomeness and kindness and mindfulness or sattva in Sanskrit, then all of the doshas can interact together and work really well together and kind of flow off of each other and like love each other's strengths, you know? But when we're kind of overwhelmed by the, the two other energies of the mind, which are known as rajas and tamas, one is kind of like on overdrive and the other one is stagnant then the mind gets kind of tainted by that flavor and it will cause um, unwholesome cravings. It will cause bad habits. It will cause bumping up against other people instead of appreciating our differences and working together. Mm. So there's much more to say about that, but I know that'll move us. <laughs> yeah, I know, and we are probably um, over our time with you. Oh. <laughs> You know, as I listen to you and I, I, I think about this Western modern world that we live in as social media and the computers and everything, you know, uh, and we have this ancient practice of Ayurveda. I, but if I'm hearing you correctly, it, it sounds like Ayurveda is a science of adaptability, where mm -hmm. we are evolving ourselves. We're not devolving back into uh, kind of this cave person type. We're actually evolving the race, the human race. And this adaptability, the ability for the brain to switch gears, the ability to keep our heart rate down in moments of stress, our ability to digest smoothly, even though our emotions are raging like a hurricane out in the ocean. This adaptability, I think, seems to be the foundation of what Ayurveda is offering the human race today. It absolutely is. You know, Ayurveda's main main purpose is to maintain health and prevent disease. And in that, the definition of health from the Ayurvedic perspective is not just having a healthy body, but having healthy um, working sense organs and uh, uh, brightness. It, it, there's a, a shloka that or a, a classic phrase from the, the classical text in Ayurveda talking about the definition of health. And it includes our digestive fire and the immune system function and the physical makeup of the body and the lightness and sweetness and generosity and kindness, the tranquility and balance of the mind and the spirit and the, and the heart space. And so it is uh, a holistic practice that teaches us through its many, many techniques how to adapt to the changing times of day, seasons of the year, seasons of life, pollutants, traumas, trials, chaos, you know, all of the things that we're exposed to, and to adapt to the rest of humankind 
and, and, and to find a way to, to be harmonized in our interconnectedness. So it is absolutely a science of adaptability. Yeah. Well, I, like I said, I think we've gone over our time, but maybe this makes up for some of the technical difficulties we were having the other day with folks because we covered a lot of ground. Um, but I also want to let folks know how, number one, they can work with you because you do Ayurvedic one-on-one -on -one consultations mm -hmm. and also tell them about your great audio program that you have a, that you have mm -hmm. with folks. Yeah, absolutely. So folks can go to my website, larissacarlson.com. And uh, you can, if you're interested in, in pranayama, which I know you all are, uh, I have a 10 day audio course, which is 15 minutes a day. So it's about two and a half hours total. And it's just $22. It's like a textbook, but in audio form. And so it gives theory and philosophy uh, to create a home pranayama practice, as well as daily techniques that are built over those 10 days. So at the end of those 10 days, there's a really solid home practice. And so you can download that on my site. And also on my site, uh, you'll find in the shop page information on doing one-on-one -on -one Ayurveda diet and lifestyle consultations to support you know, reducing the suffering in the body and the mind to balance the doshas, to identify constitution, to get better sleep, to digest better, to lose extra weight, things like that. And we will have all that information for folks um, also in the description with this video. So you can easily find it for yourselves ongoing. Beautiful. Yeah, Larissa, thank you. You're very welcome. It's so lovely to see and talk with you both. And uh, I miss you very much. I hope we'll get to do some pranayam practice together soon. Hi. You really are a national treasure. And I, you know, <laughs> folks can only go as far as their professor can take them. And you are definitely a master of many different traditions and many different sciences and are deeply needed in today's world. And I wish you every success. Mm. Hug. And loads of love to you. Air <laughs> hug. See you later. I'll send a pranic wave of tsunamis coming your way. <laughs> oh, take care, Larissa. Okay. Thank you. You too. Bye. -bye. Bye, -bye. <laughs>